Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are bringing you the best minds in functional medicine, and I assure you today is no exception. New Frontiers is able to offer these deeper drill-down conversations with content geared toward the professional audience because we are proudly sponsored by two companies that I use in my practice every day, Metagenics and Biotics Research Corporation. A little bit about Metagenics, their mission is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit them at metagenics.com. New Frontiers is also proud to be sponsored by Biotics Research Corporation. The foundation of Biotics Research Corporation is innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts and product development, utilizing advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques to develop and produce gluten-free nutritional products of superior quality and effectiveness. The advantages of biotics research vegetable culture base include biologically active, whole food, consistent disintegration for proper assimilation, suitability for strict vegetarians, and improved product stability. Biotics research emulsified nutrients represent a more cost-effective means of delivering nutrients than mycelized, dry, or oily preparations and are safely and more completely absorbed. Biotics research provides the best of science and nature. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome again to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, and I am Dr. Kara Fitzgerald. Uh, today, I'm with Dr. Terry Walls, who is quickly becoming just really a, a friend and, and mentor to me. I love her work. I'm just so, just so proud that she's part of our functional medicine tribe and just absolutely, absolutely excited about um, the multifaceted uh, approach she's taking strongly rooted in functional medicine. So let me tell you a little bit about her and then we'll, we'll jump right in. Um, Dr. Walls is a clinical professor of medicine at the University of Iowa where she teaches residents. Uh, she sees patients in a therapeutic lifestyle clinic, excuse me, and she conducts lots of clinical trials on the therapeutic efficacy of nutrition and lifestyle interventions to treat MS. I want to throw in that Terry's also launching an ALS study, and she's going to talk to you about how you can support her amazing body of research. Uh, we are very fortunate to have Terry as faculty at the Institute for Functional Medicine. Specifically, she's in the energy module, uh, and she's author, you probably know, of The Walls Protocol. Uh, how I Beat Progressive MS Using Paleo Principles and Functional Medicine, and the cookbook, The Walls Protocol, Cooking for Life, The Revolutionary Modern Paleo Plan to Treat All Chronic Autoimmune Conditions. And we love that book. We're using it. My nutrition team absolutely loves this cookbook. You can learn about Terry and her work at our website, uh, Terry Walls, that's W-A-H-L-S, Com. Uh, and also, Terry does um, an annual uh, seminar where she, she, she um, trains individuals. Uh, I'm assuming mostly these are, these are our patients or consumers who, to implement the WALS protocol, but I would imagine that there are clinicians showing up here as well. Um, Terry, welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine. Hey, thank you so much for having me. 
<laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's just an, I'm so, ex you know, the fact that you're in the trenches as a clinician and you're in, and you're doing this research, a lot of research, actually, you're really pretty prolific. Um, mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm just, I just love it. I love it, love it, love it. And just really, really want to support you. Now, folks, again, just in case I forget, you will find on the transcription page a whole bunch of links to some of Terry's publications. All right, so most of us know that you yourself have uh, MS. Give me your background. And, you know, this obviously led to the creation of this, your work, your life's work here. So give me your background and, and then give me an update on how you're doing today. Yeah, you know, so I'm a conventional uh, academic doc at the uh, university here. I was very skeptical of complementary alternative medicine. Um, but, you know, God works in mysterious ways. I got mm -hmm. to have the privilege of having relapsing and remitting MS saw the best people here and at the Cleveland Clinic and got steadily worse anyway. Ended up in a tilt reclined wheelchair, developed progressive MS, and uh, took the biologic drugs, continued to get worse, uh, and would uh, go back and start reading the basic science, uh, experimenting with vitamins and supplements, uh, uh, used the ancestral health uh, paleo principles, continued to decline, uh, and then discovered the Institute for Functional Medicine, had a longer list of supplements, you know, mm -hmm. probably flattened the decline. And, and then when I had the insight to take this long list of supplements and redesign my paleo diet using those supplements as a guide uh, to create what I now call the Walls Protocol, that's when the magic happened and when I had uh, really relatively rapid improvement in mental clarity, uh, improvement in my energy, uh, an improvement in my physical strength so that I was up walking again and then was even able to get on my bike and do a 20-mile bike ride that first year, which is, you know, stunning the speed of my recovery. Um, and continued to improve for uh, several years. Then I started developing intense back pain. Uh, and uh, in 2000. Um, let's see, 2015, over the year, my back pain got severe enough. Uh, I went in to see neuro, uh, and they uh, we did a workup. Of, I was glad to hear it was not my MS, uh, but it was spinal stenosis. Mm. Um, and so I ended up having surgery and uh, uh, antibiotic-associated diarrhea, lost a lot of weight, a lot of muscle mass, um, really became very ill uh, post-op. Uh, and it was a long slog back from that. Uh, but yeah, I kept doing my physical exercises, my PT, uh, and I'm pleased to say I'm back up, uh, able to walk a mile, a mile and a quarter, sometimes a mile and a half with my dog uh, pretty comfortably. Um, I can stand again without as much back pain, although I'll probably never be able to stand for two hours to give a lecture, so I give my lectures uh, seated in the captain's chair. And if it's a short lecture, half an hour, I can get up and walk around the stage. Uh, but, you know, certainly my energy uh, is fine. My mental clarity is fine. Uh, you know, I'm writing books, writing grants, writing papers, doing research, uh, and able to take my dog for hikes. So life is, uh, is really very good. That's wonderful. Yeah, I know. Whenever I see you, you <laughs> you're always in amazing spirits and just generous with your time with everybody. Um, 
you know, out of curiosity, what were you doing prior to MS? Like, what were you, what was your focus in, in clinic? Oh, you know, so in clinic, uh, I was doing primary care, just like uh, all the other uh, primary care docs in the VA, and I was teaching residents. My area of research had to do with diagnostic error. Uh, and so mm-hmm. uh, I'd look at secondary data uh, using the electronic medical records to see uh, what errors were being, labs were being, were being lists that were missed that were clinically significant. And we would survey our uh, clinicians to find out what their experiences were with missed lab results. And, you know, we had done that over several years. So that was a very interesting uh, body of research uh, that I had going. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and it was interesting. I was going to stay in that body of research, but it was the chair of medicine who called me in uh, after I recovered. He said, you know, you need to, shift your research because this is much more important. Oh, man. And uh, he helped me uh, get some uh, uh, scientific mentors because this was a whole new area of focus, Yes, obviously, uh, and that's been very helpful. So he got me plugged in with some uh, very good people in exercise physiology and uh, our best people here at the university uh, doing uh, dietary studies. So um, it's all worked out beautifully. It's definitely it's a meant to be story it's incredible and what your you know your previous yeah. experience does sound fascinating but yeah that thank god that you were led to begin to actually research you know this this model that's turned your life yeah. around and so many others and i you know i appreciate now as i start to stick my toe into the process of clinical research it's it's challenging when you're working with so many variables so my hat's it, off it, it is much easier to do um, mouse studies. It is much yes. easier to do supplement studies. Uh, doing uh, human studies, you have to be uh, willing to have all these multitude of uh, variables. Um, and then uh, the other thing that was fascinating when I had started to do this research, uh, many of the folks here at the university were um, kept telling me, meeting with me, saying, this is not how you do it. You got to do it. Just pick what you think was the most important yes. variable. Study just that. And, you know, fortunately for me, the Institute, uh, Institutional Review Board, and I'd been a member of that, they, so they had seen the rapid decline and this amazing recovery. Uh, and I met uh, with the chair of the IRB, and we talked about uh, my clinical trial, and he agreed that the question was, could anyone else replicate what I did. So we had to, in a very rigorous way, uh, define what my intervention was so it could be studied and replicated. And even though it was complicated, it was incredibly messy. And we had all sorts of pressures to not approve that study and to just simplify it. Mm. The uh, chair of the IRB said, no, this, this is the first step. We're not, yes. all, all we're testing is, can anyone else do what Terry did? Yes. And if they can, what happens? Uh, and so he, he called in the head of the pharmacy and therapeutics committee that had was in vigorous opposition. He said there's no safety data other than what, what I had done. He said, okay, um, tell us who needs to be excluded to make this safe and what are the safety labs that Terry needs to do and how frequently. Uh, and so we, once we got that worked out, then I went back to the reapplication process and uh, the study was approved. But I mean, all in all, it took me about a year to get get 
everything in, in place to get the study approved. Um, uh, and it would not have been approved had I not had the chair, the chair of the IRB on my side. And I've also have since learned the reason the chair of the IRB was on my side was two factors. One, uh, he'd seen my decline in recovery and the dean of the College of Medicine, who had been the chair of medicine earlier watching my decline in recovery, had told him that he really wanted to have my study get approved. And the goal was to help me figure out what all I would need to do to do this safely. Wow. It's an amazing story yeah. of, of being in the right place, serendipity. And I you know, yes. I want to underscore too that you failed standard of care, like, you know, the big gun biologics, you failed and you were still declining. I mean, we, yes. a lot of us have seen those images of when you were bedridden and, you know, they're stark. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I, people should understand that I believed in all that stuff. Yes, right. You know, and I still recognize that there's a role for these very potent biologics. And, and, and yes, they can do great things, but functional medicine can do great things with much less risk. Yes, yes. And you know what? I, I want to just underscore slightly about this, the process that you shared with us. Because, because you had to individualize it. So you failed standard of care. And then you actually failed what I think sounds a little bit like almost like entry-level functional medicine. You know, oh, some absolutely. Of the, some of the basic interventions that we might start with people who are less, who, are, who, are, who aren't quite as, 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 as sick as you were at the time. And so you had to dive in and individualize, you know, really think about your condition and individualize it. Yeah, go ahead. And um, a lot of people say, Paleo diets will fix everything. Yes, that's right. Well, I mean, right. I love the paleo diet, but it yep. does not fix everything. No. Uh, and so we do have to really understand where people are at, personalize things, uh, and um, realize that, I mean, as soon as any of us, myself included, say that this one approach will fix everything, it, it, it's an invitation to be wrong. <laughs> Mm-hmm. that uh, we, we have to personalize uh, and understand uh, factors and optimize all of them as, as well as we can. Yes. Yes. So I do understand, then there's levels to it. There's entry, you know, there's entry level functional medicine, but now you've drilled down and you're focusing on, you know, neurodegenerative, you know, MS yes. primarily, but you're moving into ALS. And some of the interventions, you can broad brush so you're a program yes. with other neurodegenerative conditions. But then if this, you know, but in, and then we can get more individualized than that, obviously. But in your protocol, we, you have, you've had, you've needed to individualize as much as possible, but then, you know, extrapolate so we can, you can, you can address more people. Correct. Correct. I mean, I, I think there are parts of what I do can certainly be generalized to everyone uh, because, you know, improving mitochondria, improving nutrition universally uh, is a very helpful approach. But as we do that, uh, you have to pay attention to how people are responding Mm -hmm. and uh, adjust the intervention based on uh, people's response. Well, tell me then on that note, you know, what your, what your intervention is. I mean, actually I'd like to hear not only what you're doing in the research slash clinic setting, but you know, where you're at with yourself. What are some of the things you're doing with yourself these days? Okay, so uh, myself, um, and I'll sort of take you through my uh, typical day. Uh, I'd like to have a 24-hour fast. So in the morning, you know, I'll get up, 
uh, I'll take my uh, morning cocktail of uh, vitamins, supplements, nutrients uh, in water, and I'll drink uh, water throughout the day. I might drink uh, green tea, yerbamate, uh, a variety of herbal teas, um, calendula tea, uh, and uh, then in the evening, I'll have my meal. My typical meal will be a big green salad, um, uh, some cooked vegetables, usually in the sulfur-rich category, fermented vegetables with that, and then a uh, protein source such as uh, salmon. Tonight we'll be having some brats and we'll be having beet greens uh, and brats. Uh, so it'll be uh, pretty yummy. Uh, and then we'll have uh, cherries uh, because those are coming in right now. And I know my friend who's going to dinner uh, has a peach tree. So we'll be having uh, some fresh peaches uh, and probably some uh, chia uh, pudding with that, uh, those fresh berries, uh, cherries uh, and peaches. Now, the physical training that I'm doing, I have a yoga Pilates routine uh, that I do. I also swam this morning, uh, and I do half an hour of cognitive training. Uh, and I've gone back and forth between Brain HQ and uh, Lumosity, and this morning's workout was uh, Lumosity. Uh, I uh, do in daily inversions, uh, and I do that because of my back pain and scoliosis, so I... While I'm inverted, I'm doing my positive affirmations, and I'm calling out to uh, my uh, stem cells to uh, remodel my uh, back and my discs while I'm hanging up uh, inverted. Uh, and I'm calling my stem cells to come into my brain and remodel my brain and my uh, spinal cord and do the repairs there. Uh, and so I'll do three four-minute sessions uh, uh, while I'm inverted. Um, because I'm uh, not at the university today, uh, I'll take my dog uh, for uh, a mile, mile and a half uh, walk this afternoon, or I may uh, go out for a bike ride. Uh, we'll, we'll see uh, what that routine is. Uh, typically on the weekends, I try to get in a 40 to 60 minute uh, sauna and a near infrared sauna, and I'll get the temperature up to 140 to 160 degrees while I'm in the sauna, the infrared uh, has a deep, you know, um, I really sweat a lot more uh, in the uh, near-infrared sauna. Uh, I also have a, a pulsed electromagnetic um, mat that I lay on from time to time. Uh, it, it also has the ability to synchronize binaural beats uh, through the audio and binaural beats through a visual sequence. So that really gives a very deep relaxation. Uh, it's all practically trained with that. Uh, I have a cold laser that I will practically uh, use in the prefrontal cortex to do a little more uh, red light stim uh, to my brain as well. Uh, and those are sort of just sort of fun gadgets that I'll use from time to time. Any any you know protocols brands? I mean, is this is this written down anywhere, or are these things that you're just? Well, these are things I talk about at the at my uh, seminar. Okay. Uh, uh, so th there are a variety of brands that one can use for cold lasers uh, that are available. Um, and, you know, this uh, is really experimental stuff. Uh, the cold laser uh, it will depend on the frequency in terms of how much penetrance uh, it will have. Uh, the cold laser has a long history of use in the physical therapy world for um, 
uh, orthopedic injuries, musculoskeletal injuries, pain. Uh, yeah, more recently, it's being recognized uh, that um, it's very helpful in the electron transport chain, uh, improving mitochondrial function. So, of course, that's not surprising. That I'm sort of intrigued uh, and uh, have been looking at this. Some interesting reports that it's been useful uh, in people with traumatic brain injury, helping mm -hmm. them uh, recover function. Uh, it's been used as another way of stimulating the uh, acupuncture uh, points, which you can use with an electrical uh, uh, stimulator, or you could use with these uh, cold, the cold laser stimulators. Uh, so it's been... Uh, it's been written up at, in that sense as well. That's great. Are you, are no, you again, these, mm -hmm. these are some of the devices that I talk about uh, uh, during my seminar in the health professional workshop day. Okay. And that's the you, folks you can find out about Terry's seminar at our website. Um, are you doing e-STEM these days anymore? Um, I do not. Um, you know, I did e-STEM and this is sort of interesting. Uh, so I did e-STEM uh, for years, uh, uh, four years, in fact, uh, and I had, uh, was doing it essentially all of my waking hours. So I would do it while I did my physical workouts, and then I would do it while at work. And when the current was going on, I have an isometric contraction that I would do at the same time uh, as the current. And that would be, it would build more muscle mass. The current also stimulates release of endorphins and nerve growth factors in the brain. And so, it, so for several years, my electrophysiology team was very concerned because there's no safety data on doing ESIM for as many years as I was doing. And they were said, you know, understandably, were concerned about the safety of what I was doing. So I'd practically try and come off but never cared for the dip in my mood or cognitive abilities mm. as I tried to come off. And then another one of my uh, physical therapy team members uh, uh, brought me into his lab and showed me uh, uh, their work on vibrating platforms. So I thought, well, that's pretty interesting. So I got a vibrating platform and started doing my strength training on that and once I was doing that, then I was able to uh, stop the e-stem. Uh, and you know, I, I did not mention that as part of my strength training uh, workout, I do strength training on a vibrating platform. Uh, that uh, will induce more nerve growth factor release and endorphin release. Uh, and my, my theory, uh, yes, uh, it, Dr. Shields, uh, it's his theory that the vibrating platform also releases a lot of endorphins and nerve growth factors. And so I was getting enough of a bolus from my vibrating platform that I wasn't uh, experiencing a relative lack as I dialed back on my hours of e-stim. That's really wonderful. I know I'm prescribing e-stim under your you know, you've, you've given me some really good tips for that for folks yeah. who don't have a vibrating platform, but um, I'm assuming again, you you'll talk about this at your seminar. Correct. Correct. So we talk, we talk about all these uh, devices that I use and I certainly explain that this is all experimental stuff. Yes. Uh, but here's the rationale and the potential benefits for uh, using these devices uh, and then I invite people to uh, consider adding them to their practice uh, with the caveat 
that this is all off-label use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we can try them, uh, pay close attention, and monitor their uh, use carefully. So let me just confirm, because I said this early in the podcast, but let me just get it from you. Clinicians would be, this would be rich for clinicians as well as Oh, yeah. Consumers. So the, the um, uh, three days, you really learn uh, the essence of the diet and lifestyle uh, that I talked about in my book, what I've learned since writing the book. And of course, that's now four years old. So I've yeah. learned a fair amount. So we've made some adjustments. We have a lot more research out of my lab uh, that we talk about. Uh, plus, people get a chance to see me teach these complicated concepts to 300 people at a time. Uh, including how you do your own timeline, how you do your matrix, how you get people uh, to really tap into their internal motivation to be willing to do this big, big job of giving up the uh, foods and lifestyles to which we're addicted and and to go on this journey. Um, Then uh, on the fourth day, uh, we talk, this is where I talk about the devices, uh, why to use them, how to use them, uh, we'll have some devices on hand so people can uh, see the devices. Uh, then uh, I go through uh, um, some more advanced therapeutics stuff, really, that I've learned since writing my book. Uh, and what I think is really the most compelling, uh, Dave, Dale Bredesen's doing some great work on Alzheimer's. And I talk about uh, the stuff that he's published in, in his research, and how that compares the types of interventions that I do, mm-hmm. uh, what we do that's similar, what we do that's slightly different. Um, uh, and then we go through cases. Uh, and I, I rely on my uh, years, rich years of experience where in the VA, I had a very narrow toolkit of labs that I could order, you know, basically right. primary care labs. Yes. And a very narrow toolkit of interventions. Yes. Diet, lifestyle, fish oil, and B vitamins. Right. And like that's everything they had to work with and motivating people to actually do the things that we asked them to do. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about the kinds of cases that I saw, the uh, evaluations that we could do, and how we tapped into getting them willing to go on this journey. Uh, and, and then I you know, contrast this to... Um, Dale's work, which is really quite brilliant, but he comes to it through the lens of a mouse scientist who's done brilliant work, really understands the mechanisms, and was down the path of drug development. So he has a, has a different point of view in how he relies on testing and personalization that way. And my point of view is, I took care of people on food stamps. Yes. And uh, we had... Uh, the VA resources uh, to use, and that was my toolkit. But I also got pretty amazing results. So I'm trying to let people know that we can do amazing things with limited resources. And there are times where the Dale Bredesen in-depth approach is needed when you can't get as far as you want with my approach. You know, it's just yet another you know, wonderful gift to all of us that you are, you're doing this like MacGyver, you know, you've got some thread and <laughs> you've got really simple interventions and you're, ter- and you're, you know, you're working with population that, you know, it's 
doesn't have ready access as a rule to functional medicine and you're in there and making these changes and publishing on it you know with simple not necessarily easy but you know just simple basic tools um so just what are the key what 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 just give me the 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 lowdown on on what a research you know the the interventions that you're doing in research what are the what are the main arms that well, you're looking at so um in my very first arm, we did essentially the stuff uh, that I did. So uh, a fairly nuanced uh, vitamin nutraceutical intervention, uh, this very intense diet, um, daily meditation, and a daily strength training program. Uh, and then the real work was using motivational interviewing to help people be, be willing to go on this journey with us. The next uh, and we're and we're still publishing out out of all of that data uh, right now. Uh, we just published uh, the gate paper, so there are videos embedded in the paper, so people can finally see the amazing videos we have of b gate before and after the intervention. Um, we are now analyzing uh, the MRI data we have from that study, um, and so you know, science is painfully long process. It'll probably be another year before we get that MRI paper out, but uh, that'll be the next paper coming out of that, uh, that first study. Uh, the next uh, study we did was just a diet-only study in the setting of relapsing remitting MS. And again, we could show improvements in energy, improvements in motor function, both the hand function and uh, walking ability. The next study was a look at ketogenic diet, the original diet versus weightless control. Um, and there I learned that people do not want to uh, enroll if they have to be in a control group. Um, and so there's some, uh, a lot of learning that I got there. Um, interestingly enough, the original diet is just as good as the ketogenic diet. Mm. And that's not what I expected. I thought the ketogenic diet would be better, uh, but it's not, uh, at least in that small, very small, small pilot study. And what we're doing now is the uh, elimination diet, the Walls elimination diet, again, uh, in a parallel group to the SWANK diet, which is the low saturated fat diet. And that study is funded by the MS Society. Uh, and we've got another year and a half of uh, recruitment to go uh, in that study. Now, in this study, we're freezing blood as we go and we're freezing poop. Uh, so we'll be able to do a microbiome analysis uh, and we're going to be able to do uh, some really detailed um, future studies looking at uh, uh, advanced lipids, uh, advanced uh, oxidative uh, stress markers, uh, and we're writing the grants right now to get the um, lipid studies done, uh, and I'm working on grants to get the microbiome studies done. Uh, and then, as, as we mentioned, uh, we've been working with some uh, philanthropic donors to get an ALS study going, where I'd compare essentially the same diet that I'm using in my MS study now in the, as a safety study in, uh, for people with ALS. And we're doing that, Kara, because we've had uh, a surprising number of individuals who are in, in my tribe that follow me, that are reaching out saying, I have ALS, I've done your diet, and it's stabilized my disease. Mm -hmm. And that was pretty interesting. And then uh, we've had a, a significant, a large donor from, for the university, uh, likewise have ALS, and we assisted uh, him. 
uh, and he stabilized his disease. So he's helping me uh, pull together uh, 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 fundraising so that we can hopefully get our uh, safety study up and going. And I'm optimistic. Um, we're, we're close. We're two-thirds of the way uh, to our fundraising goal uh, so that we'd be able to get that study up and going. And people, again, you can, there's a link on your site, right? TerryWells.com yes. to donate? Yes. Okay. If yeah. you'd like yeah. to participate. It's just very, it's really exciting stuff. Um, I wanted to just circle back about some of those basic labs you, you did. Um, it, what, what are they? What were the basic labs? And if you could layer it on sure, some more sophisticated sure. panels, what would you think about? So now uh, I, I worked at the VA. I, I've left the VA since, but I have uh, 17 years uh, at the VA. And while, while I was doing my functional medicine uh, practice, and, and we had uh, three years, almost four years of the, lifestyle clinic. The agreement was I could do that, but I could only use basic primary care labs. So what we worked out was a 25-hydroxy uh, vitamin D, uh, C-react, highly sensitive C-reactive protein, fasting lipid, uh, hemoglobin A1c, B12, folate, and a homocysteine level. Uh, and so uh, it was, uh, and we do a creatinine and a CBC. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was just that, uh, and I would work to optimize everyone. So my goal was to get the homocysteine uh, under seven. Mm -hmm. uh, if the B12 and folate were low, I'd use ordinary B vitamins. If the B12 and folate uh, were in the top quartile of their reference range and the homocysteine was low, uh, then I would uh, talk to the vet and see if they had the economic resources to buy methyl B12 and methylfolate uh, on their own. Mm -hmm. um, we would talk about a low glycemic index diet uh, to get the triglycerides uh, under 100 and the HDL triglyceride ratio um, less than three. We would uh, work on vegetables, uh, of course, as a primary intervention. Uh, if people were uh, open to being a paleo eater, we'd have them do that. Uh, and actually, that was much more popular than uh, being a gluten-free eater. People would rather be uh, paleo. But we had quite, we still had a number of vegetarian and vegans uh, who were doing that for their religious beliefs, and we worked with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, we had a, a number of folks who were uh, living on food stamps. That was very, very common. Uh, and so we'd work with them on how to implement these concepts uh, uh, as hunters, fishermen, uh, going to the local um, food banks. Was in Iowa, uh, deer are a nuisance, and a lot of communities have uh, controlled hunts with uh, frozen deer meat in the locker for anyone who would want to pick, pick up the deer meat. So deer meat uh, was uh, uh, quite common. And uh, people uh, were... Uh, pretty open to uh, learning how to forage and grow more of their own food using container gardens. Um, a lot of the vets taught me, you know, some, some very helpful tricks about how to get better food. Uh, and one that I thought was the most brilliant curve was hmm. you go to the farmer's market and you walk around the farmer's market and you ask people, what's the best prices you could get, give me for the, re the rest of your stand at the end of the farmer's market. Hmm. Uh, and so people were often able to find people who would sell out the rest of the produce that was organic or sustainably grown uh, for pennies on the dollar. 
at the last 15 minutes of the uh, farmer's market. Oh, what a great idea. I'll swing by later. I'll give it all to you for five bucks. <laughs> Something yes, like yes. that. I just, I just don't want to have to haul it away. Right. Oh, that's just, that's a great, great tip. Listen, what, if, any comments on the vegetarian vegan crowd? Like how did they do? Were you able to kind of observe that well, or did you? Track um, it? Yeah. You know, they could do okay. Uh, the things you had to, you had to be sure that you had fixed their B12 deficiency. Mm -hmm. You'd fix their iodine deficiency. You'd fix their trace mineral deficiency. And that you reduce the lectin exposure by having them soak and sprout their seeds. So if you soak the nuts and seeds, the legumes, for 24 hours and rinse them, they, they cook much more quickly. And you've markedly reduced the lectins, so they're less inflammatory. And you've markedly reduced the phytates, so uh, the minerals are much more readily absorbed. Could you say that they did as well as the as the 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 other group, or would you? I mean, can you make that any kind of statement? Like, well, I, I could say uh, we we did well for them because mm -hmm. it was important to them for their spiritual yes. beliefs. Yep, and you have to respect that. Absolutely, um, you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay. Now the other question. Clearly, you're a phenomenal coach, and you've and and your team is phenomenal. I I mean, there's a, a there's a lot of energy, just positive energy, just the 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 power of how you're transforming, you know, the paradigm. So I wanted to like you know, how did you give me give me some idea of how you got people to just really become enthusiastic about adopting the diet, and even you know those folks that you had involved in the lifestyle. Um, aspects. So, How'd you do it? So um, in my lifestyle clinic, uh, we have skills classes uh, that people could come to. And the vets, as we came to the skills classes, they taught me a lot. Um, so we, the favorite class, two classes were, uh, what is your life mission? Mm -hmm. And having people clarify what their life mission is, and then how implementing these diet and lifestyle changes help them be more successful in their mission of raising successful children, um, being uh, uh, more effective uh, in my church, uh, that uh, we have to have them understand what their purpose is and why making these changes reinforce that purpose. It, it really helps a lot with their resiliency. Um, and then uh, people loved, 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 loved our conversation about the hero's journey. Uh, and as a quick refresher, Joseph Campbell, great book on the hero's journey and the prince, our overarching principles across many, many cultures and religions is that your society is facing a terrible struggle and is losing. The hero separates from society and learns some important truth and then comes back to society and re-engages in the fight, bringing this important truth with them to that fight. Now, in the rest of the world, that hero might still die. But the fact they, they came in this journey is greatly honored. In our society, we know the hero's going to win, and the society will over, be victorious. And so we ask people, what is it that they're going to have to learn to re-engage in their struggle? And how, what will this hero's journey look like? And that just has this tremendous resonance with our vets. 
I talk about that in our uh, seminar and I say, you know, you might be a Luke Skywalker or you might be a Martin Luther King or you might be a Mother Teresa in this hero's journey. So there are many ways that we can manifest that. Mm. But what is the way you're going to manifest this? Uh, and, and we talk about um, how we have the pleasant life. You can still have enjoyment in your life today, even if you're bedridden. When I was nearly bedridden, I could still enjoy my life helping my daughter memorize her lines for her children's play. Uh, and I could have the good life by um, the fact that I loved gardening and I couldn't garden anymore, but Jackie could take me out to the gardening stores and I could help her pick out the flowers uh, and design the garden. And she could take me outside and I would lay in the grass while she planted the garden. So I could still enjoy life with my unique contributions as a gardener, although I, I couldn't do the physical task anymore. Yes. And I could have a meaningful life uh, as I was teaching the medical students about how to be a better doctor by uh, giving them lectures as to the experience of being diagnosed and having to reinvent my life yes. as a progressively more disabled person. And uh, none of this required uh, recovery, but it gave me immense meaning and when you have this meaningful life and you're giving back to society in some way, um, it, it uh, provides much more resilience for enduring whatever trauma you're going to have in your health as it unfolds. Right. It gives people much more strength to be willing to do the hard things that we ask them to do. Yeah. Did, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, they supported each other. I mean, did, did, did they develop interconnections in the studies? Yes, or? yes, yeah. So in my lifestyle group, the, those peer classes and our uh, groups, uh, support groups and skills classes were immensely uh, successful. And I think it was a huge part of why we had so much success in my lifestyle classes. In my research uh, group, we didn't, uh, we don't have a way to create peer groups. Uh, it's not been part of our, our structure because that's just another layer, layer of complexity, um, so I did not add that. But we do talk a lot about uh, mission and resilience, and we use motivational interviewing, asking people what their purpose is, uh, and then uh, using the motivational interviewing technique uh, in terms of inviting change, and then using the power of silence to let people tell you how they're going to interpret these concepts in their life. Mm -hmm. It's such an embodiment of the um, functional medicine principles. <laughs> I mean, you're just living all of them. This is the matrix woven through and through. And uh, without functional medicine, you know, it's very clear, you know, without the functional medicine, without uh, the work that I've done, done with the paleo world and my reading all, all of this basic science, I'd be bedridden and demented. So... Yeah, I have this immense sense of gratitude to functional medicine, to the ancestral health movement, uh, because without those communities, I'd have been totally screwed. Yeah. Well, and you know what? You might be bedridden if you had just, in, you know, implemented the um, physiological aspects of the interventions and not the spiritual, you know, and the psychic. Correct. Correct. I mean, it's, it's, it's really it's all necessary. Yeah, For me, it was all necessary. That's really beautiful. Um, so 
let me just ask you a couple of things here as we kind of head to the end or of our interview. I, I, um, give me, so just, just once again, just walk through your, what you would suggest a starting supplement protocol might be. Well, you know, of course I'm doing a family history to get a sense of uh, the probability of um, uh, B vitamin difficulty or detox pathway difficulties. Um, nearly always uh, we'll be wanting to measure the vitamin D and fix the vitamin D levels with supplements. Uh, we, uh, I like to have people start somewhere between 2,000 and 5,000 while mm -hmm. I'm waiting to get that level and then adjust things further. Uh, uh, fish oil capsules, somewhere between one and four grams, depending on their, their circumstances. Uh, if they've had a traumatic brain injury and have never had any fish oil, I'll start them on four grams. Mm -hmm. uh, or if they've had not had traumatic brain injury, um, I would start them on one to two grams um, and uh, see where we're at there. Um, if we've had a lot of toxin exposure, uh, and in my population at the VA, uh, toxin exposure certainly was nearly always a big factor. I would like to have them on some algae uh, and on uh, on some N-acetylcysteine. Okay, good. Thank you. Uh, and I know you'll cover this again in your seminar. So something you and I have chatted about a handful of times is, um, you know, stem cells. And stem cells, where, yes. Where, where are you at with that right now? What do you think? No, um, so I've uh, gone to some stem cell lectures. I've been uh, a lecturer uh, with them. Uh, and when I look at the literature, I see that stem cells are really, really good for orthopedic injuries and trauma to speed recovery. Uh, and I see that um, stem cells have been associated with helping people get over the hump of recovery from a neurodegenerative process. Uh, and the groups that do stem cells, and that's all they do for a neurodegenerative process, have to do stem cells monthly to keep uh, that recovery going. Um, if, on the other hand, you've happened to get a individual who does functional medicine yeah. to get them tuned up, and then if, and as you and I know, functional medicine for many people will be enough. Mm -hmm. uh, and the person uh, gets recovery from their degenerative process, but not for all. Um, and uh, for that individual, uh, a stem cell therapy may offer some benefit. Um, but I would uh, urge them uh, to do stem cells with a functional medicine practitioner. Uh, and I would use only uh, autologous stem cells, that is stem cells from someone who is doing uh, fat fat harvest from the individual right. and giving the stem cells back. I would not use umbilical cord or cord blood stem cells because I think the risk for graft versus host disease is great. And I don't think any of those practitioners are using function, uh, functional medicine. So they have to keep doing the um, stem cell transplants. You know, and, and, you know, and now that I'm doing private practice, I have seen people who have done medical tourism, spent huge amounts of money, yeah, shocking amounts of money on their stem cells and derived uh, no benefit right. uh, and then started working with functional medicine and started seeing uh, benefit. So if, if you don't get to the root cause, the stem cells, they might give you a, 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 a transient benefit, but then you'll, then you'll have to keep doing the stem cells. If you get to the root cause and you see some benefit, but it's not quite enough to get to where you want, 
there may be benefit for adding stem cells to that. Got it. That's a that's a really nice uh, overview of it. And folks, if you're interested, I did podcast in May with Dr. Tammy Miraglia, who is using specifically autologous stem cells with a functional medicine approach, if you want to check that podcast out. So I think really exactly what's actually you introduced me to her. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the thing that I like about Tammy is that she's part of a research group. Yes. That that's right. is doing a... Um, a repository uh, or registry research, so they're keeping track of everyone, yes. uh, publishing outcomes data. Uh, and so that's, if you're going to do stem cells, only do it with someone who's got a patient registry and really only do it with someone who's also doing functional medicine. Are you enrolling? Well, you did mention you're enrolling in some clinical trials right now. So can anybody listening to this might qualify? I mean, yeah. So uh, I would have them reach out to us at msdietstudy at healthcare.uiowa.edu. And uh, we have a couple of studies that you'll hear about. One is uh, the parallel group where you have Swank diet versus Walls diet, uh, but you have to come to Iowa to be in that study. Uh, if, and you have to complete the questionnaire to know do you qualify or not. Uh, and then you're also given links to uh, a survey-only study, and anyone can be in that who has MS or uh, clinically isolated syndrome or uh, optic neuritis, and those are questionnaires that are completed uh, um, twice a year uh, for five years, uh, and uh, they're doing it for the Parkinson's patients, and they're doing it for the MS uh, patients. Uh, and the beauty from that is that study, you can participate from anywhere in the world. That's great. Okay, so lots of options. We'll have that website for, for everybody. Or was it an email address? Uh, it's an email address. You know, I'll send, it, I'll send this uh, link to you so you can have in the show notes both for, to, for both studies. Okay, fabulous. Um, now, are you taking on patients yourself or is your new clinic? What, what, what about that? So uh, we'll have a clinic a couple days a month. Uh, so yes, and it's no surprise. I have a two-year waiting list to get in mm. to see me. Mm. Um, we're also uh, trying out doing uh, a uh, intensive uh, weekend program where people can come have a little more uh, in-depth uh, experience with us as well. So we have a, a couple ways that people will be able to interact with us. And you are, tr you know, you are teaching in the modules now, in the energy module at IFM. Yeah. So it, I know, I know. And I know that a lot of us, you know, certified IFM clinicians are familiar with your work. So people who need access might consider reaching out to a certified IFM uh, practitioner yes. and, and asking, you know, asking if they're using the walls. Uh, right. So... All right. Well, listen, it was just absolutely a delight to talk to you. I just, just, just love your work. Love it. You know, and you have been so generous with all of us and teaching us and just moving the paradigm forward. You know, I'm, I'm just a big fan of yours and I want you to have the Linus Pauling. I might as well take this platform to, uh, <laughs> Well, happy for you. That would be fun. <laughs> I think you deserve the Linus Pauling Award. You folks, that's our big annual Institute for Functional Medicine Award. Uh, girl, I'm, I'm on your team there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, well, Mary. it would be fun. It'd be quite an honor. Yeah, yeah, it would be deserved. So I'll send this podcast around to the, uh, <laughs> the appropriate people and hope they, li they listen. Uh, thanks again, Terry. 
You're very welcome.